morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. When preparing to preach through a book of the Bible, there are typically texts that, at least for me as a pastor, you can get excited about. This is going to be awesome. It's like when we're going through Isaiah. I was counting down the days to speak on Isaiah 25. It's like, this is going to be sweet. Coming to Exodus, there's a couple texts that I was looking forward to. This is not one of them. Well, why is that? It's super well known. If you ever try to talk to somebody about something they already know, it's just like glazed. I've already heard this. And then there's things that follow something that we know really well, and there's things that we don't know really well, and things that confuse us, and they're called laws. What on earth are these about? Why are these here? What is this for? You need to explain about 600 of them in the next 25 minutes. So this is not something I was super excited about. So I was like, this is going to be a chore. Unfortunately, I was correct. (laughs) It was was a chore. And so I'm going to try to give you, so beyond typical studies, I'm going to show up here. It's our first slide here. I'm going to give you some helps here that may help you out. I understand our time is limited. We're not going to be able to get through them all. This first one here, the Bible Talk podcast by James Hamilton. It's one of my former professors I had. He's fantastic. He talks with another guy, Sam Amati, and they walk through the text. So I listen to him on a regular basis because I heard him in class, and believe it or not, I was not always the best student, so sometimes I need to rehear what I should have learned the first time. And so Bible, Bible Talk. I'm going to give you on the next slide here. Don't go there yet. I'll give you on the next slide. Oh, sorry, can you go back? In the next slide, as you just saw a sneak peek, the links I'll show you came from, as I was listening through this text again, he references a sermon and a video. And I'm going to link those two. They're very helpful for you. If you're going to listen to all three podcasts dealing with this text and watch the videos and the sermon, you're talking four to five hours of your time, just leisure time, trying to figure out the law. So hopefully that'll help you out. There's a commentary, uh, Exodus, the message of Exodus by J. Alec Motyer. Motyer is a Motyer, depending on who you are and how you say his name. Um, it, this is short, concise. You're not going to get something on every verse, but it's helpful for you. He will hit themes at times. So all of a sudden you're like, well, where are we at? And he'll just walk through themes. But to me it's helpful in trying to think through arrangement. If you want more concise, you want more details, you want something for every verse, I come on down to my office. I have a bunch you can look at. But I thought this is helpful. All right, you can go to the next slide, Jeff. Thanks for your help. This does the Bible support slavery. We're getting into slavery today. I do not have the time to walk through this argument on slavery. I'm going to talk about it. We'll, we'll briefly go there. But this video is very helpful. It's very honest. And it's going to be from a Bible perspective. Here's what the Bible says about slavery. And how should we think about it? And then Rescue for Justice, a sermon by Bobby Jameson, where he's going to be focusing on these laws dealing with the idea of justice for God's people in a sin-cursed world. Okay, we'll, we'll talk about some of these things, just letting you know we're not going to get through it all, so you may have to do some homework yourself. If you're just like, hey, you answered it all, praise God, you just saved yourself five hours of time. I don't think that's going to be the case, so you can do some homework. All right. If you want to go to, Jeff, can you go back to slide one, and then we'll skip these here. And there you go back, there you go. The next one we'll do will be that, the six breakdown. We'll get there in a second. Okay, you guys got it? We have a lot to cover. Long way to go. 
but we can get there. I hope these resources are a help to you. So we got to start before we get to the Ten Commandments with the beginning. In the beginning, God created the world. What's the word he used when he created it? Things were always good. Some of the ladies out here will point out, well, it's not good is that he left us out. So once women came around, then everything is now good, and you are correct in saying that, right? It's not good that man should be alone. The first time we hear something's not good. But for the most part, everything is good. Man and wife are united in harmony. Creation is in harmony with itself. Man is walking with God in the garden. There's fellowship with God. It is bliss. The rules are few. Be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth. Have dominion. Take care of the things I've given to you. And one restriction. Do not touch this tree. Do not eat from it. Don't do it. We, we know how that went. It didn't go well. Man eats from the garden. Everything falls apart. There is disunity. There's Harmony has been broken now between creation and itself. There's discord between husband and wife. And fellowship with God is torn asunder, it's broken. As we see in Exodus, God longs to be in fellowship with his people. Longs to be in fellowship with his people. He wants us to talk to him, and he wants to talk to us, and he wants to speak to your heart as much as he wants you to understand his heart. And soon, Lord willing, the people of Israel are realizing we have a shot at this game. We're being led by God. We're being led by God. We're going to a promised land where he will be over us. We can walk in fellowship with him. We can hear his voice and we can be one with him again. We just, we just got to get there. Is it something missing? What would he have us do? In the garden, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, have dominion, don't touch the tree, don't eat from the tree, I should say. But like the garden, are there, are there any restrictions? Well, things have changed. Because now we went from, here's a few, few rules in a perfect world, to now there's chaos, there's discord everywhere we look. So what are we to expect now? Well, what rules would God give us so we can dwell with him again in the garden? And so we have what's called the Ten Commandments. If you read Deuteronomy 5.22, it's another word which most Jews would call it the Ten Words, the Decalogue. Here in this text, God lays out for his people rules to follow as they desire to live in his presence, obviously. Okay, there are more rules than this listed as we'll go through this. So there's, there's a book. If you're, well, what other rules? Read the book of Leviticus. Just start there and you'll see, whoa, that's a lot of them. On top of this, these rules also help. Remember, we just appointed 70 people to help Moses out to be judges. That way they can understand how are we supposed to interpret these rules. And how can we make sure that justice is being done in the land. Lastly, before we dig into these commandments, I'm going to challenge you to think through these Ten Commandments in a different way. And from a different perspective. From a different vantage point, if you will. The Pharisees read the Old Testament from a letter of the law perspective. Jesus did not. They're a letter of the law. And he said, no, you're, you're missing it altogether. But we're following it. <laughs> no, we're not. 
you're tithing the tiniest little bit of dill and cumin, and yet you're disobeying God by dishonoring your parents and saying, I can't help them out. What are you doing? That's not what it says. That's what it meant, knucklehead. But there's a problem is that we're broken and things have fallen apart. So in Matthew 19, 1 through 8, as the Pharisees are going through this strict interpretation of the law, and they come to question Jesus about divorce. And they miss a real point in Matthew 19, 1 through 8. You can read this. And, and Jesus points them back to the creation. Genesis 2, 24, he says, What God has joined together, let no one separate. The Pharisees in Matthew 19, 7, they come back from quoting Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. They knew the Bible. They knew the Word. They knew the Torah. They said, well, Moses gave us permission to do this. And what was Jesus' response to this in Matthew 19, 8? He said, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, from the beginning, it was not so. This is not how I created you to be. So when we go back and read the law, we have to understand what God's original intent for us was and read it with that spirit. So when we read something, we should go, is this the letter of the law or is this the spirit God would have us understand it in? I'm not trying to get loosey-goosey on here. You're like, well, I don't have to obey these laws. You're going you're you're to find out they're going to be more encompassing than we like. And so when Jesus says this, the law as it's given does not display the heart of God. As was seen in his original intent and original creation when all things were good. Bobby Jameson in his message on this said the laws were meant to govern an actual society composed of fallen human beings. Therefore, listen to this, they take sin for granted. This will happen. You're going to hear phrases like, when you, when this happens, this is going to happen. They accommodate sin to a degree. And they limit the damage done by sin. It's going to be what you'll see in these laws. So when we read the laws given, we need to understand them from God's heart, also God's mercy, and God's patience. Because if every sin is of high offense to God, then why isn't it just you disobeyed your parents or you murdered somebody, death penalty for all? But there's mercy and there's patience within these laws and structures set up. Now, if you get to a command, you're going, what on earth is this about? And how come it's in the, I, I just encourage you, think back through Christ's words, and it's possible that maybe that command was given. It's allowed because of the hardness of our hearts. doesn't mean it's his original will. Because when we saw what that was, it was all things were good. Now all things are broken. So how can a bunch of broken people have a just society with brokenness happening at all times? So we read from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount this morning. So my wife, wife read it, and I'm glad she read it. And, and not me. Jesus quotes these commands and says, you have heard, right? You have heard. Do you think, so think Jesus speaking to, to Israelites. You have heard that it's been said, you shall not murder. Do you think they had heard that before? You have heard, you shall not murder. Anybody heard that one? And they're all like, uh, yeah, no, no, duh. And then he says, but I say to you, you're like, hold on. okay, <laughs> time out, time out. What do you mean by I say to you? This is a ten, this is one of the ten commandments. 
How are you going to contradict what Moses wrote down in the Ten Commandments? Are you kidding me? You have heard you shall not murder, but I. what are you going to say? But I say to you what? So has God changed his mind? No. But as Jesus continues, he continues to teach us how we're to read the Old Testament law. He's saying it's not just murder. It's deeper than that. It's anger. If you are angry with your brother, you have murdered him in your heart, and God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. Go back to your original creation. Was anger allowed? No. Was lust allowed? No. So you're not worried about somebody sleeping with somebody else's spouse. No, no, no lust is there's it's a zero sin policy. With tolerance for none of these things. Any one of these things will break everything we have. So it's not just don't kill. See God's heart in this. There's no anger allowed. It's not just you can't sleep with your friend's wife or their spouse. It's all sexual immorality is wrong. If you're even thinking it, he knows. So as we look at the Ten Commandments and the laws that follow, may we see God's original intent as seen in the creative order. And then compare that with the words of Christ and going, okay, now I can kind of see a bigger picture of what he meant here. So as we look at it, look at Exodus 20, verse 1 through 23, 19. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What does he say at the beginning? I am, well, who, who are you? I am that I am. And because I am that I am, I'm requiring you a few things. Based on what? Well, I'm the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I brought you out with a purpose to serve and worship me. Because of who he is, and because of what he has done, he lays claim to their life. We need to understand this truth as well. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done, he lays claim to your life. You are bought with a price, therefore this body is not your own. We belong to him. Now, as you'll see, Jeff, can you skip to that other, other scene there? Thank you. As you see here, Mottier in his commentary gives us these commandments. He's going to walk through these ten commandments here. He's going to break them down into different categories in thoughts, words, deeds, deeds, words, thoughts. And so we'll see this in the top three being loving God and the bottom three being love your neighbor. Now, if you don't like this breakdown, give me a high five on the way out. He gives you another command. So if you buy the book, he gives you another diagram on page 219 where instead of maybe thoughts and words, especially at the beginning two, you might want to say heart and deeds. So he does heart, deeds, deeds, heart. So however you want to do it, that's fine. But this is maybe helpful for you to see the encompassing nature of these Ten Commandments. From your thoughts, to your words, to your deeds. God is to reign over all of that. Thoughts, words, and deeds. So all right, let's look at this first command. First, you shall have no other gods before me. So for, for those of you trying to scribble this down as fast as you can, this will remain here until the conclusion. So you can write it as we go, or you can seriously do that for the next 15 seconds. It's fine. Just slide's not going to change anytime soon. 
So first, you shall have no other gods before me. The great I am, the rescuer from servitude in Egypt, and their leader and guide to the promised land is demanding soul affection. Demanding soul affection. What right does he have to do that? On a base level, when, when you stand before your minister, whomever it was, at the altar, and a husband confesses to his wife, or a wife confesses to her husband, till death do us part. I do. But what are they saying? The, the menu is closed. My, my heart and my affection is for you and you alone. This is a decision, okay? Remember, teens, kids, college students, love is not a feeling, it's not an emotion, love is a decision. When you say you will love somebody till your dying day, that's a it's a choice you make. So my dad used to say you can't fall out of love like just like you can't fall out of a well. It's, it's impossible. You make the choice. Parents, you love your children like God loves you. It's a choice. So there's nothing you can do, child, that's going to keep you keep me from loving you. Love is a decision. God loves you. It's a decision that He made. And he commands your soul loyalty. I am who I am. And there should be none else. The second command, verse number four, you shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep his commandments. Again, if you, you might wonder, well, how does this fit with thoughts that this is making images? And let me point out, Meyer speaks helpfully on this. He says, the thrust of the second commandment, right, no graven images, no idols, is that the Lord is to be worshipped without aid or interposition of visible representations. Behind that rule lies a theology, a doctrine of God, that God is spiritual. He is spirit and self-revealing. And then when we turn to worship him, we worship him. When we worship him, we must fill our minds, we must fill our imaginations with what he has revealed and the word he has spoken. Let me repeat that. Behind this lies this theology that a doctrine of God, that he is spirit and self-revealing. And when we turn to worship him, we fill our minds and our imaginations with what he has revealed and the word he has spoken. Because God is spirit, we worship him in spirit and in truth. Not a physical representation of who he is. So our fidelity is to God alone. We worship him in spirit as he is. In verse 5, we see that he is a jealous God. He wants our affection and ours alone. He wants our affection and ours alone. He is a jealous God. Shailin, um, a gospel rapper, not, not we mention gospel rap a lot of times, but Shailin wrote a song that's called A Jealous One. It is fantastic. Even if you just read through the lyrics of it. It starts off with a husband and wife and a guy catching his wife in adultery and, and, and ends in double homicide. It's horrific. But then he says, can you imagine God who invites our trust who's nothing like us and, and he sees us committing adultery with things of this world? You say, well, for us, it's, it's, it's not idols, but for us, it's self and sex and loads of cash. And, and, and we go after these things. 
And they take the place of God in our life. See, he's the jealous one. And most of the time, human jealousy would hurt you, but for God, his jealousy is a virtue, as he says. It's fantastic. I encourage you to listen to it or read it. But the sense that God is jealous on a whole nother level, it's unintelligible to the soul of a rebel. He invites our trust. He invites our love. I encourage you. Understand that God's jealousy is a good thing. It is a good thing. Would it be good for somebody, for me to see somebody flirting with my wife and trying to hit on her and I just kind of smirk and say, no problem. No problem, buddy. Like, no. I found the diamond in the rough and I will conquer anybody that comes close to it, right? There's like that sense of, no, stay away. Even more so for our Savior. He wants our heart jealously. He loves you. He wants nothing to take place because he knows there's nothing higher than him. Your life will never be better than to be with him, loving him, following him, serving him. This is how we think of God. Next we see how we seek of God. Look at verse number seven, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of your Lord God in vain. For the Lord, listen to this, please listen to this, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The cavalier way in which people speak of our Lord, people that claim to know him, and they'll text, O-M-G. Well, let's text O-M-F-G. You're going, what on earth are we doing? People that claim to know Jesus as their Savior. Flippantly taking the Lord's name in vain. And it's not just saying we're just taking his name. It's even taking oaths in his name that continues on. But there's a respect given to the name. When he describes himself, I am who I am, I'm Jehovah. And, and they were careful even to write his name. I encourage you, raise the bar. I understand we're, we're not under the law, but we are under grace. But I encourage you, read through again how this troubles the Lord. He will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Friend, teen, student, Christian, I beg you, when you speak his name, may it be in reverence. I mean, think of the angst and anger you feel, at least back when I grew up, if somebody ended a phrase with your mom and the wrath that would come out if they said your mom why is that because this is my mom well he's my lord how can you take his name in a flippant way like that fourth commandment we see thoughts words now deeds remember the sabbath day Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who is within the gate for in six days. The Lord made the heaven, the sea, and all that is in it, rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We covered the Sabbath back in Exodus 16 and dealing with Matt manna, and I don't want to belabor this point, but God has set an example for us to rest. So for Israel, this means while other nations are trying to profit on that seventh day, he's saying, I need you to trust me. Just like you trusted me to provide you manna when you woke up and you had all you needed, trust me when you get into this good land, I will give you all you need. Trust me. So for those of us that have this anxiety of making sure that we have to work harder and, and strive up further up this corporate ladder because I gotta make more, I gotta do more, I gotta make more, I gotta do more, I gotta make more, I gotta do more. Let me encourage you to come back to this idea of, of trust. 
do you believe God can provide all your needs? Then show it in your work schedule. Show it in your work schedule. Trust he can do what he said he would do. There is a rest for the people of God. We know this from Hebrews. It can be spiritual, but it's also physical. God did not rest on the Sabbath because he was tired. He rested on the Sabbath because he knew we couldn't make it. And notice, this command for the Sabbath applies not just to man and women, men and women and children, but also even to the livestock. Give them a break. All of creation is broken. All of creation needs a rest. They just can't keep working. They need a breather. They need a break. Some encouragement for your own good, but also because you love me, take a rest. And we get to the next section on neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Verse 12, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, your God, has given you. Ephesians 5 tells children to obey their parents, honor their father and their, your mother. It's the first commandment which promised that it may be well with you. Do not treat your parents lightly. This means do not treat your parents lightly, but with respect, with the respect they deserve. Please understand, uh, teen, kiddo, that your parents, li- li- listen to me, listen to everything I'm saying, teens and children, students. Your parents do not deserve your respect. I do not deserve the respect of my children. I deserve death in hell. That's what I deserve. But God has forgiven me. God has made me his own, not because I'm good, but because he is, that we simply called out and he saved. If, if you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, then you are no longer your own, and now you do what he said because he said it, and it is good. So you do not honor and respect your parents because they have met your criteria for worthiness. You honor and respect your parents because God has simply asked you to. Now, now let me clarify this. If your parents are in the sense of physical or sexual abuse, you need to notify people. We're not talking you keep that hidden or covered, but also we're not going to get to this level of microaggression that if they ask you to do your homework, that's not abuse. That's just being a good parent. Okay, do your homework and stop complaining. But the same sense has to come if you understand that I, I, I don't deserve as a parent the respect of my children. I deserve death and hell, but God has saved me, and I've given him my life, and now I need to steward and rear my children as God would have me. Now, teens and kids, and, and I, I hate to say this, but being a former youth pastor, I saw this all the time where you'll have teenagers that come and say, but my parents, they come to church, and they show it on the outside, but they are deadbeat spiritually. I'm sorry if that's the case. That your parents might ask you to follow the Lord. Hey, you should be faithful. You should get baptized. You should read your Bible. They're not willing to do any of those things themselves. I hate that phrase. The command is still the same. And we've seen teenagers come from homes where there's zero spiritual oversight and they've thrived and they've grown and they've blossomed as God would have them. And we've seen teens come from great spiritual oversight and they tanked. You have the choice before you. Follow. Mom and dad, make it easy. Don't put hurdles in their path. If you're going to ask them to do something, 
suck it up cupcake. It's time for you to do the same. If you're going to ask them to be in the Word, you should be in the Word. If you ask them to get baptized, to be faithful in church, you should do the same. If you're going to ask them to not lose their temper, what are you going to do? Do the same. Set the example in your home. Make it easy on them. But please recognize, teens, that it is not character-based. This command is not. It's simply based in the goodness of God. This is how you will thrive. If you listen to me and you trust me, even if your parents aren't what they need to be. Command number six, you shall not murder. This seems self-explanatory. Don't go home, grab your steak knife, and start running people down. But Jesus takes this farther in Matthew 5.21, as we heard today, even unchecked anger in our hearts. It's not allowed in the original garden. It's not allowed today. Mom and dad, are you still mad at your dad or your mom or some family sibling about something that happened 30 years ago and you've yet to let that go? Do you hate that person? Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? Just as God, in Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, have you done that? Have you let it go? Have you forgiven? Don't hold on to that anger. It's just as bad. You should not commit adultery. Verse 14. Command number seven, don't do that either. Again, in our scripture reading, Jesus expands this to lust. This does not mean I can sleep with whomever I want as long as that person's not married to another person. It's not like anything else goes. So it's a sense of you, there's, there's no lust involved. The only place for sexual union is within the marriage bed. You shall not steal. Verse 15, don't steal. In the coming laws, we'll see many explanations what this might look like. We've covered deeds, and now we'll get into words. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness. Command number nine, against your neighbor. Don't lie. What you say matters, because what is in the heart, so what comes out of the mouth comes first from where? From the heart. Again, Jesus is expanding. I'm going to understand. It's not just words. They're just words. No, it's showing you how evil your heart is. Number 10. Command number 10, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything. Like, well, what about it? It didn't say his car. I can covet that. No. And some of us, if you're like me, right, I was, I was the, the last child, right, the baby of the family. And all of us here, the babies of the family, know once mama and daddy get to the baby, just like, once you have the best, you just stop, Right? My sisters would probably balk at that truth, but, um, but it is true. So, um, but saying that, being the baby, I, I watched my sisters get into trouble. And they didn't see me get into the same amount of trouble they did, and they thought it was because Michael gets away with everything. No and yes, I did get away with them. It was because I didn't make the same blockhead decisions they did. I could still do the same thing. I just learned the loopholes. I figured a workaround. You can't do that. Oh, that's going to get you. Oh, what a dummy. <laughs> can't do that. So some of you, we read these and we're like, well, I'm not covering my neighbor's house, just their salary. I, I wouldn't want a donkey. wouldn't mind a nice car. We think it's a workaround. And this is what the Pharisees were doing. 
letter of the law, not the Spirit. The Lord knows the thoughts and intents of our hearts. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul writes in the Old Testament. In Exodus 20, 18 through 21, we get through the Ten Commandments and the people's response to the thunder flashing that Ethan spoke of last week, the trumpet sounding, the mountain smoking, this crazy sight, and it's terrifying to the people of Israel. It's terrifying to them. And so they graciously tell Moses, why don't you deal with this? We'll stay back here. As we see the sacrificial lamb head up the mountain, I'm sure he'll be fine. Uh, let's step away. But as they step away, it's, it's interesting to note, Moses, it says, he look at verse 21. I think it's a great statement, and just looking at the difference of these people. Here they're afraid of who their God is. The one has brought them up on eagle's wings that we heard of last week. They're afraid of who he is and what he's done. The people said afar off, verse 21, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. How many of us have the courage and fortitude to draw near? Even amidst the chaos of life. He draws near. Now he was allowed to. We understand that. The others were prohibited from. We understand that. But I thought it was just a neat picture of Moses drawing near while people are cowering in fear. From 22, from 2022 through 2319, so the next few minutes we're going to get from 2022 through 2319 in rapid speed. A bunch of other commands. To get through these commands, I want you to think of three categories that were helpful for me. So I went through this exercise trying to separate how do we categorize this. The first is look for explanations of the Ten Commandments. So you shall not kill. Well, there's a lot of things that deal with people that died and how they died. You, you shall not commit adultery. Well, what about all these other si sexual immorality situations? So think back to, how do these connect back to the Ten Commandments? A further explanation of what is meant here is going to help the judges. That's one area, the Ten Commandments. The next, worship. There's going to be commands that deal with worship. It includes what we wear, includes what we eat. We'll get to the book of Leviticus. Some of that will be there. The next, the last is justice. Just dealing with, for our society to run well, to have a just society, here are some things we need to do. So worship, justice, and the Ten Commandments. Those three areas, I think if you're walking through, it's going to help you. It may not answer all your questions. You may figure, well, should it be this category, that category? There may be overlap, but I think you'll see explanations of the Ten Commandments, just teasing this out, or dealing with worshiping God, or dealing with the justice for our nation as we, as we move forward. Okay? So look at 20, 22 through 26. Right after this, we see again this overlap of the first and second commandment. You shall say to the people, you have seen for yourselves, I've talked to you from heaven, verse 23, shall make no other gods of silver. So again, we're coming back to the second commandment. We see the first commandment's a part of that as well. We're referencing back. Look at 21, 1 through 11. We see this section of justice on slave law. They were just, just were slaves. And so one of the first things on their mind is how should we treat others that are in that same boat? So again, I mentioned this video by Peter Williams. I encourage it to you. I recommend it to you. Watch it when you get the chance. But we, we all need to understand. Everyone look at me and understand this very clearly. The slavery that is talked about here is not, is not in any way close to or part of the slavery that we saw in North America that started in 1619. 
Let me understand this. They're not in any way close. We'll get to an example. We're going to have an example of that later on. So hold on. Well, how do we know this? Okay, just think of the word slave. And if you have a King James Bible, um, you're going to see the word slave once in the Old Testament. Once. You're going to see it a lot in the ESV, in the NIV, in the New King James. You'll see a lot of it from here on out. Because as time went on, the word has changed. So going back to the 1600s, they wouldn't have seen this as a slave. They would have seen this as servant. And the Hebrew word would have been translated that way. Again, watch the video. You get a chance to check it out. But I grew up on old King Jim. And so you read through this going, man, I, it's different. Things have changed. But think of Abraham, servant, Eleazar. And so when you see in the ESV or other translations that are saying, which I love, I love the ESV. If it's typically a bad situation, we're going to use the word slave. If it's a good situation, we're going to use the word servant. But it's the same word. It's the same word for the most part. Going across. So Abraham's servant, Eleazar, his slave. Th- think of his situation where he was to inherit the entire fortune of Abraham. That's not what we would have seen in the Civil War time or prior to that. They were non entities, they weren't even human beings. Eleazar was sent with money, cash, loaded on camels to go to a foreign nation to find a wife for Abraham's son. And he didn't split. Like, take my briefcase full of hundreds, take that, put the diamonds and the gold back there, take all the camels, we'll see you in a couple months. Okay. Abraham also, to save Lot, he armed all 300 of his servants. He armed them. Again, not what you've seen back then. Here, give every person on the plantation a gun and come follow your taskmaster out to the cotton field. Probably not going to go well. Probably going to see 300 people fleeing for freedom. And so these are different situations. On top of that, just read the text. Okay, just read the text. Look at 21, verse 1, uh, verse 2. Uh, sorry, go verse 1. Uh, verse 2. But when you buy a slave, he shall serve six years. So there is a set time period. Six years. Now the seventh year he goes free. So it's restricted to time. And a lot of comparisons that I heard from either commentaries or from the video or from sermons or whatever else comes back to how many have ever served in military? Anybody served in military? Did you feel free during that first part of time? I mean, when, when we were in Guam, I haven't served in military, but when we were in Guam and we saw our buddies serving in the military, they were cattle. If General so-and-so that had a couple stars on his shoulders decided we need 600 people from here to move there, didn't matter what was going on in your life. Didn't matter how your home was like. It's just like, you're gone. We're going to move people like we move planes, like we move submarines. You, you're going here, you're doing here, and here's your task to do that. It's for a set period of time. It's limited. You have things that are provided for you, your housing. You get money. You get paid for this. And so that is similar in that sense. So this is what you need to say. It's, it's a shortened period of time. It's indentured servitude. So if you lost all you had and there's no bank to go to, where would you go back then? Well, you'd hopefully go to one of your own kin and say, I'll serve you for the next six years so I can get my feet back up and rolling. So again, he even went back to Exodus chapter 5. So in Exodus chapter 5, do you remember when things were going poorly and they wouldn't give them the, 
the stuff to make the bricks. And you had to go get it yourself. And what did the Israelite servants, servants say to Pharaoh? Why do you treat your servants like this, they said. Meaning, they don't expect bad treatment because they're servants. What you, you're doing something that's not expected. You should not be treating us poorly. And if you went back even further to Genesis, do you remember when famine came through the land and, and Joseph sets this up and we're going to start storing food and then the Egyptians came and said, we don't got money, so what do they do? We'll give you our land. And then they gave them the land, then they gave their livestock. And after that was gone, what did they give them? What did they give? We'll give you ourselves, just provide us with food, clothing, shelter, just give us what we need to live and we're good. And say, well, we'll do this, but you can also make some money on the side too. So by the time we get to the end of Genesis, who are the servants in Egypt? Everyone except Pharaoh, Joseph, the priests, and the people of Israel. Everyone else is on Pharaoh's books. Everyone. So when we get to Exodus chapter 1, that situation has changed. They're also now on the books as well. Israelites are. But it wasn't until chapter 5 they realized, like, hey, you're treating us poorly as servants. You shouldn't be doing this. Pharaoh, come on, what are you doing? So all this, if you go again, I'll, I'm not going to be able to explain all this. just wanted to let you know there are grand, massive differences. We can't read our culture from 1600s to 1800s and read it back into the Bible in that way. This is not what this was. This is not how this happened. Now, should it have happened? It's a good question. Watch the video when you get a chance. But I just want to help you understand it was different. It was different. Hopefully you would, hopefully we would all agree we, we should not be doing slavery as we saw. And we should not be indentured servitude at all at this point in time anymore. But go to 21 verse 12 because we, we see also this continuation of different commands. It goes to the sixth command. Do not kill. But what happens when it comes to killing? What happens if someone does kill somebody? Or what happens if we accidentally kill someone? It was an accident. I didn't know. I was swinging my sickle, and then he came running up to catch a ball, and whoop. What do you do? Or what happens if an animal kills someone, or, or an animal kills another animal? You're going to see some of these and the explanations. We see similar commands for the fifth commandment, honoring your father, 21.15 and 21.17. If you're honoring your parents, you're probably not going to be hitting them. It's a bad idea. Or cursing them. 21.16, do not steal. Let me pause. Everyone look at 21, verse 16. 21.16. Whoever steals a man, a man-stealer, a kidnapper, whoever steals a man and sells him, anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. This one right here, 21.16. If you want us to get to the idea of what was happening in North American slavery, this is the verse. Forcibly stealing somebody from where they were at and selling them like cattle. We would call today human trafficking or slavery. This is dead wrong in all instances. And they deserve death. This is the death penalty is called for here. It involves stealing. It also involves, at the end, the death of somebody else. 21, 18 through 36. We have a ton of commands that deal again with, the, with this sixth command of do not kill. And this is that part where it talks about animals. And what if someone kills a slave? He can't just do this. He's going to have to pay for this himself. Meaning he could also die if he kills his slave. Look at 20 and 22. 21 verse 22. I think it's the kindness of God's sovereign plan to allow us to be here today. 
being Sanctity of Life Sunday. So what happens if a pregnant woman is there and her baby dies? Look at 21-22. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her her children come out, but there's no harm, then the one who hit her shall surely be fined. The woman's husband shall impose on him. He shall pay as the judges determine. In verse 22, and it continues, verse 23, but if there is harm, you shall pay life for life. Life for life. As I've mentioned before, when, when we dealt with this idea of, or with the issue of abortion or pro-life, pro-choice as we go back and forth, I understand that there are Christians that have numerous views on this issue. And I, I don't want to try to convince you to hold my view on every aspect, but here's what I beg you to do. Christian, look at me. Read this text and tell me what God's view is of the unborn as compared to those that are currently alive and living outside the womb. Do you see a difference in how he treats these two? Do you see a difference in his view of these two? He sees life for life. Why is that? Because as we saw in the video, all human beings in the womb or outside of the womb are made in the very image of God. They're made in His image. And thus deserve a treatment as God would have us treat them. This is not going to answer all your questions. And you can come up with 65 case scenarios where what about this and what about this and how does this and how does this. But I'm begging you, if you claim to know Jesus as your Savior, to just read the text and tell me what God says about it. Just tell me what He says. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to make it say something it doesn't. What is His view? Life for life. Whether in the womb or out of the womb, they are made in my image. They're made in my image. I encourage you as you think through that. We move on from this because it says if there's harm, verse 23, you shall pay life for life. Verse 24, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Does this mean God is for this a maiming justice? So if a kid steals something, he steals a piece of licorice from the candy store back in the day. We're supposed to haul him out to town center and lop off his arm. Teach him. Well, we'd have less stealing, wouldn't we? Would we? Well, maybe. At least public stealing. So is this the sense of it has to be exact exact retribution so if somebody punches you in the eye they need to stand there while you, you get ready to slug them back is that what this is calling for and you say well, well well, that's what I think it means well let's keep reading because we want context to determine what, what we have because believe it or not verse 26 and 27 talk about an eye being hit and a tooth being knocked out so what, what does it tell us to do here look at verse 26 when a man strikes the eye, eye, there you go, of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of the slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of the tooth. So in this six-year arrangement, I'm coming into you for six years. I'm going to work for this period, and then on the seventh year, I'm going to go free. And on the 50th year, the Jubilee year, you have to give me my land back too. But if in this process, he strikes his slave and he loses a tooth, it's not... Okay, now get the owner there. Let's get a little chisel. And, let's and now we're square. It's like, no, it's, it, it's not that. It's he, he, 
the contract's gone. You have to pay him you, you whatever at the end of the six. You've, you've ruined your shot. Your poor owner. And so he's allowed to go free. So preaching on this verse, Bob Jameson said, the punishment should be precisely proportional. The principle is exact justice, not identical retribution. It's exact justice, not identical retribution. No matter how we work through our justice system, and everyone probably agree it needs to be better, exact exact justice is different than identical retribution. Just because somebody stole something from you, if you steal it back, that doesn't make the situation change. And so trying to think through this, and they're trying to set up, again, good law for our society. In 22, 1 through 14, we go back to the 8th commandment and a fuller description on stealing. In 22, 16, 22, 17, 19, and 20, it harkens back to the 7th commandment on adultery and sexual purity. Again, just this reminder again that within the, the confines of marriage, this is what the Lord has allowed. 22, 21 through 31 deals with justice for a sojourner, a widow, and the fatherless. 23, 1 and 17, false report, goes back to the 9th commandment. 23, 2 through 6, 8 through 9 deals with justice coming with, uh, with lawsuits and, and bribes. 23, 10 through 12 goes back to the 4th commandment. And the Sabbath is applied now not just to the people, but also to the land. And when they go into exile, one of the things that the prophets will bring up is that they refuse to obey this command. They refuse to give the land a Sabbath. And so God says, well, I'm going to give the land a Sabbath. What do you want it to or not? So I'm kicking you off so the land can have its Sabbath finally. 23, 13, straight back to the first commandment. And 23, 14 through 19 deals with the worshiping of Jehovah. These three categories, justice, worship, and the Ten Commandments, hopefully it helps you compartmentalize how is this helping the people of Israel. Is the fuller explanation of the Ten Commandments is dealing with my worship of Jehovah God, or is this dealing with just us as a society trying to have a just society? This can be um, a jumbled mess. So I, I hope at least this helps break it down a little bit for you, but you have to ask if, you, if you're here, well, what is all all these laws, what, what does all this stuff mean for us today? First off, friends, you, we, we have, to, have to ask the question, is, is this God your God? Is this God your God? In 20 verse 2, God tells his people, I am who I am. I am God. Is he yours? Are you part of God's family? Have you been redeemed? The by the blood of the Lamb, He says that He will show steadfast love to thousands of those who love Me and keep My commandments. How can you know Him? You can, as we walk through week after week, you ABC, you admit that you and I, that we are sinners. We understand we break these laws time after time after time after time. Have you ever had a lustful thought? Have you ever harbored anger in your heart? Well, join me as failing the Ten Commandments. We botch it all the time. If you just admit to God what He already knows, we blew it. And you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who did come, who did die, who did rise, who did ascend to high, and He lives today and intercedes on behalf of dying. And lastly, you call, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you do that today? If you have questions on how you can do that, see myself, see a Christian friend you came with, we'd love to walk you through it. I can do that. For those of you that claim to be a Christian, let me keep this simple. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Nothing is a greater place than to love him. Why would you love him? Because he first loved us. If you love him, you will keep his commandments. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? What about the next one? Do you love your neighbor? Do you love your neighbor? Teens, kiddos, are you honoring your parents? By faith, trust God to help you honor your parents as you ought. Students and adults, are you harboring anger in your heart? Forgive. By faith, forgive. Extend the same forgiveness has been extended to you. Do you have a lust-filled heart? By faith, see all humans made in God's image. Taking what's not yours by faith, restore. Lying by faith, tell the truth. Are you content with what God has given you? By faith, thank God for who he is and what he has done for you. Rejoice when you see others blessed. Lastly, Christians, do you feel, when you walk through these, do you feel like a failure? Anybody else out there feel like their report card has a, a few check marks on there? Anybody like to see that old red ink? Do you feel like that? I mean, let's be honest. It's like, man, this stinks. <laughs> I came here thinking, man, this is pretty good, but I've, ah, shoot. Failed that, botched that, messed that one up. Welcome to the club. It's all humanity. If you came here, friend, if you came visiting, you're like, I'm, I came to see this righteous, just society called the church. You came to the wrong place. Friend, listen to me. The church is a hospital for the sick. If you came here, friend, thinking that you are well, you have more need than you know, you've joined the boat of the Pharisees. But for those of us that find ourselves like the publicans and the tax collectors and the prostitutes, we find ourselves mired in sin day after day and we can look up and see the Lamb. Then repent and repair. God has brought something to your heart, thank God for giving it. And rejoice that he will. He shows steadfast love. Steadfast love to his own. The idea of walking through these commands is not to put you over our knee and go, what a bunch of shameful, what a bunch of shameful Christians. It's just holding up the mirror of God's law and going, oof not looking good still. Don't you long for the day when we get to see him face to face? And all, this shell is gone and we get to see him and all his glory and my sin is no more. And my next choice will be his will because I'll finally be like him. Oh, what a day. What a glorious day that will be. God, free us from this sin. He has. He gives us the power to. But we stumble and we struggle, don't we? But one day he'll finally make us like him. As the TV show Chosen tells us, soon. Very soon. Friend, if you don't know him, he's the best. I don't know what else to tell you. If you do know him, and you realize, like me, 
man, I got a long day today. Okay? Something to drink. Let's take 30 seconds to do that. Let's quiet our hearts. If there's something God would have you do, repent. God, forgive. I'm sorry. I blew it. Then rejoice. Thank you for showing me again, once again, for the six billionth time, your steadfast love. Let's take the time to quiet our hearts. The music team will come up here and they'll play. I'll close in prayer before we pray. Father, we sang last week, you are worthy of it all. And you are. Because you are our God. You've called us out of darkness into light. Granted us a new home, a new, new life, a new name. So we, we ask that you would help us as we search our hearts and as you search them, and we know our thoughts as you know them, that we beg that you forgive us for how we've sinned and erred and strayed and gone away yet again. Lord, help us not to wallow in the mire of guilt, but to confess and then rejoice that our God forgives. That as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Lord, if, there, if there's somebody here that's yet to cry out to you, They've yet to make you their own. May today be the day of salvation for them. May they realize that you are good and you love and you forgive. Lord, I pray for our church family again as we get ready to go. And some may feel so discouraged. Lord, I pray that they will know your steadfast love and will continue from generation to generation. So Lord, I pray for them that you would bless them that you would keep them, that you would make your face shine upon them, you'd be gracious to them. Lord, you lift up your countenance upon them and give them your peace. So we pray this for our church. We pray this for our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray.